Well, we welcome you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're all very welcome to our, our worship this morning. And it's lovely to see Harold and Mimi back amongst us again. I trust that things are going well for you, Harold. Um, just a few announcements to make. According to our church code of government, uh, we have to give notice two weeks in advance of an election. And I'm doing that now. We are having a, an election for deacons on the 17th of March. That will be uh, a short East meeting immediately after the service. And uh, we are seeking to uh, elect three uh, deacons. That's uh, what we're aiming for, at least, three deacons. And um, we'll say a wee bit more about that next week. But just serving notice that that's going to take place on the 17th of, of March. And um, something to be praying about. Uh, Northern Presbytery meet tomorrow evening in the Clock Mills congregation at half past seven. It's a sort of a special meeting. It's an annual meeting where they discuss the state of religion in each of the ten congregations. And essentially that just means going through your session report and um, <clears throat> answering any questions that uh, the presbyters might uh, feel inclined to ask. And then on Thursday evening at half past seven is our midweek service. And then next Lord's Day at the usual times, Sabbath school. And then, God willing, uh, I'll be here back again in the pulpit. Just another two announcements to say that the RP Family Day Conference, which is planned for next Saturday in the Cullybacky Church, uh, the Reverend Peter Lockridge from North Edinburgh will be speaking on In the World, But Not Off the World, Raising Our Children in a Post-Christian Culture. Uh, I think you probably have had to have registered for this by now if you intend to go, but I'm sure if you were uh, wishing to go and you hadn't registered, I'm sure you could still be squeezed in, but probably better to give them a, uh, a heads up. You can maybe speak to me if you want to go and I can maybe put you on to somebody to contact. And then for the ladies, uh, none of the ladies for Kaleswater for a long time have gone to any of the women's meetings in the, in the wider denomination. Uh, but just to let you know that there is a, a woman's conference, woman's fellowship conference for the 13th of April in the Drumball congregation. Um, and Mrs. Yuri Fleming is going to speak about the role of prayer and mission work. So if anybody wants any more details of women, uh, please can't speak to me and I'll, I can furnish them with that. And then also just to say that uh, I think at the, on the... Uh, last Monday in March, the 25th of March, they're hoping to have the ladies together again for the resume their um, uh, women's fellowship and study of, of God's word. And I think a speaker has yet to be arranged. So women, be on your guard when Janet, you see Janet coming to you. Uh, she may be just coming to ask, would you be the next speaker in that? So that's the 25th of March. Um, at the half past seven time slot. I'll mention that again, I'm sure. So that's everything in the will of God. Beloved grace and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 7 
and 28 and following reads. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Amen. Let us worship Almighty God. Let us call upon the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. We turn to 1 Timothy and chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3, and we'll read this whole chapter, although I'm only going to be looking at a very small part of it this morning. And in verse 1, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, Sober, of good behaviour, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. Lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith and a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanders, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtst to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, Received up into glory. Amen and amen. So this is number two in our study on deacons. Last time we thought chiefly about the job description of the deacons. What do the deacons do? What is the role of deacons? We can't presume to know what the role is. What role, what is their remit? We heard how, firstly, it is an office. 
which has been instituted by Jesus Christ. The New Testament establishes the principle of a free office church. You have your minister, a teaching elder. You have ruling elders, of which the minister also is a part. And then you have deacons. Free office church uh, leadership. Now over the centuries, like in so many other areas of the life of the church, the church took it upon itself to invent other ordained offices. But from the beginning, it was not so. And that's where we always want to go back to the beginning of the scriptures. So it's a, an office which has been ordained or instituted by Christ. We also heard last time that a deacon is not a hybrid elder. You get these hybrid cars running fuel and electric. And a deacon is not a hybrid elder. The office of a deacon is indeed infested with authority. But the result is not a coalition of church government ruling alongside the elders. Rather, the result is a coalition of church cooperation. Deacons assisting alongside the ruling elders. A deacon's role, we also heard in the widest possible terms, it has to do with the temporal affairs of the church. And by temporal, I did not mean to suggest that a, that a, that a deacon's temporal office is uh, in contrast to an elder's spiritual office. That's not the contrast that we wanted to make. The contrast is simply that the deacon cares for the bodies, the physical, the temporal, things to do with Christ's flock, whereas the elders care for the souls. It's a spiritual office even though it looks after temporal business. Christ caters for both the soul and also the body of his people in giving elders and in giving deacons. There's no need for anybody else other than those in the church. So that's the church, that's the role of a deacon in its widest sense, temporal, physical, bodily affairs. In a more narrower sense, we saw last time how a deacon's role is that firstly of works of mercy. There will be, no doubt, fixtures and fittings, bricks and mortar, because that comes into, under the umbrella of it all. But first and foremost, it's works of mercy. It's visiting the fatherless and widows in their affliction. That type of service, that type of ministry. We also heard last time how the deacon's office has not been replaced by the benefits office. William Binney, Scottish divine from another uh, generation, wrote and said, speaking about the, about the benefits office, well, it wasn't the benefits office in his day in the same way, but the government looking after the people. He said, quote, the hand of this kind of charity, that's the hand of the world outside the church. The hand of this kind of charity 
is a cold hand at best. I thought that was a nice way to put it. A cold hand at best. After the legal guardians of the poor have done their part, there is much room left for kindly attentions to the godly poor on the part of their brethren in Christ. So the government have their part in alleviating the suffering of the poor, but it's a cold hand. And the church's ministry of diaconate should be a warm hand whenever it ministers. And besides, as I've already hinted at, the deacon's responsibilities are as wide-ranging as Christian aid, as disaster emergency aid, as winter aid, as disability aid, as hearing aid, as first aid, as gift aid, as mobility aid, and even as water aid. And probably more besides. And before all the men who are left on the list rush to stroke out their names and say, well, that's a, that sounds to me like a 40-hour week sort of a role that you're suggesting. Well, let me reassure anyone who may end up being elected that it's not even a 40-hour year, the role of the deacons. It's not even a 40-hour year. I'm just trying to show any prospective deacons how aid in its widest sense is to be their job description. Aiding God's people, Christ's people uh, at home, in their own personal domestic circles and also uh, as they come to church and as they are a part of the the congregation. That's the nature of the work, the job description. And it has a very attractive salary along with it. The salary of knowing that inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. You have done it unto me. So here's, a, here's an opportunity to do an awful lot of service on the Christ in the office of a deacon. Now I want to bring out um, two qualifications or perhaps one qualification part A and part B very quickly. And the first is that deacons are a wee bit like church managers. And managers aren't expected and don't in any work I've ever been employed in, in secular work, they don't do all the work themselves. Of course, do managers. What do managers do? Well, yes, they have responsibility, they have authority, but they delegate many of the works onto their car. They hire. Uh, they bring others in. They subcontract others who are better uh, qualified, others who are better placed. They make use of everyone who they have recourse to. So, for example, I mentioned water aid as being one of the roles of the deacons. So if there's water, rainwater, coming down through the roof through one of the mission, or one of the, a missing tile, the deacons 
will probably get in touch with a roofer to come and do that. Oh, we wouldn't expect the Deacons to be on the roof fixing that. But no, they just make a phone call, send an email, and get somebody else to do it. Unless they want to do it, but it's not expected. Delegating it to others. Better qualified, better place to do those types of jobs. Or, to put it at the other end of the thing, if drinking water is needed for the pulpit, well, the deacons may ask someone within the congregation, could you make sure that there's water in the pulpit every service for the preacher? So the deacons don't have to do that either. They could just go and ask someone, could, could you make sure that there's water in the pulpit every week? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Deacons are not, God willing, being appointed to do all the work themselves. But they're being appointed kind of as church managers of temporal affairs, able to make use of others, to hire others within the congregation and without the congregation, as and when they deem it fit and appropriate. And my second application, which is attached to that, is if the Lord does, in his goodness, give to us a diaconate, the rest of the congregation is not say, well, we've got a deacon's board now. Uh, let's just leave the work up to them. I, I, I hope that wouldn't be the case. Beloved, uh, if, if you don't end up as a deacon, which, will be, which will, will be a good number of you, obviously, of course, because we're only looking for three, but at their, at their um, ordination and at the installation service that we'll have in due course, uh, it would be a nice uh, Christian gesture to say, if there's anything I can do to help. You might say, there's not a lot I can do, but if there's anything I can do, I'll do it. Just, just speak to me. So we're not asking the deacons to do everything by any means, but to help to spread the load as they see is the need. Even if it is only making sure that is a cup of cold water provided for the preacher every week. This is something that John, this is another one of John O'Neill's jobs that he did for years. Made sure there was always water uh, in the pulpit for me every week. Um, he won't be able to do it going forward, I'm sure, not with those steps. So I don't mind, and it's no, it's no problem, but sometimes when we have a visiting preacher, and John's been not able, and I hope there, just to make sure the deacons speak to somebody. You make sure there's water when there's a visiting preacher. And what about the salary with that? Is there a salary? Yes, there's even a salary that goes with putting a cup of water in the pulpit for the preacher. Jesus said, whoever gives a cup of water in my name, a disciple or a dis shall in no wise lose his reward. So even in the smallest of things, which can be delegated to others, there's a reward. He did it on to me. And so forth. So that's the job description with a wee bit more of an appendix from what we looked at last time. What about the man description? Is what I want to really think about this morning and next week. What kind of men 
are we looking for when we're looking for deacons? Is it just any church member? Is it just anyone who is king? Is it just anybody who is, is affable and approachable? What type of men are we looking for? What type of men will deacons be? Well, as you'd expect, the head of the church hasn't left it up to the congregation in each setting to make up their own rules. You would expect the head of the church to have provided us with a criteria, a checklist, qualifications. And he wouldn't trust it into our hands, the type of men that we should have in office. And so he has indeed, and we read it from 1 Timothy chapter 3, he has given us a checklist of qualities. Qualifications that have nothing to do per se with a man having a good head on his shoulders or having a good pair of hands. <coughs> nothing to do per se with a man having a good head on his shoulders or having a good pair of hands. Because it would be very easy and very natural and human almost to be easily swayed in looking out for men. The same way that Samuel was swayed whenever he went to appoint a king from the sons of Jesse. So say in the congregation there's a particular man who stands out. He's a clever man. He's successful in business. The sort of man who has a good head for figures. It would be very easy for the congregation to look at that type of man and say, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Or, conversely, it would be very easy for a congregation to be swayed by another man who stands out as a tradesman. Good pair of hands. Uh, a man who's able to put his hand to anything. A man who's very practically minded. He likes working with his hands and so forth. And to come away saying, well surely now the Lord's anointed is before me. That's the sort of man you do want. Just as a little aside, because there's no such list of personal qualifications in the New Testament for church committees, <coughs> and Northern Ireland has got many churches where they have church committees instead of deaconates. There, there's, there's quite a few in the RP church still. Kaleswater was too. To not very long ago, they had no deacons, but they had committees. And because that's because there's no qualifications in the New Testament about the appointing of committee members, there's always the, the, the tendency to look on somebody on the outward appearance, that they've got a good head on their shoulders and they've got a good pair of hands. What other qualifications are you going to look for in a, in a Christian or one of the church members? And so what ends up happening is that you elect 
men on the basis they've got good, good heads on their shoulders, they've got a good pair of hands, and they become committees doing effectively the work of the diaconate, which is what always happens. The committee end up doing the work of the diaconate. And the net result of that is that you have a group, or you may have a group, of men, sometimes women too. Uh, that's, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But you have a, a group exercising church authority. Exercising church authority over church affairs, biblically unqualified to do so. A committee with no, uh, with, with no uh, uh, criteria or qualifications from the scriptures, they are an authority on the basis <coughs> of good heads or good hands. And that can't be healthy for a congregation. The list of qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Acts chapter 6 are for a man with a good heart under his shoulders and a man with good hands of not touching the unclean thing. In other words, it's spiritual qualifications because it's a spiritual office. Now, the businessman might have all those. He might have spiritual qualifications. The tradesman might have the qualifications but not necessarily. It's a spiritual man we're looking for, even though it's a temporal office. Now, having said that, the first qualification to be a deacon is not spiritual at all, really. The first qualification of a deacon is that they possess X and Y chromosomes. Everything about this list in 1 Timothy chapter 3 presupposes that the office of a deacon is a male-only area of the church. So in verse 11, we have uh, the, the words, even so must their wives. So it's talking about men. Verse 12a. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. Men again. Verse 12b. Ruling their children and their houses well. Which is the role of a man. Ruling the children and the houses well. So the clear implication of these verses in First Timothy. Is that the office of deacon is for the men of the congregation to occupy. And it's explicitly stated in Acts chapter 6 that that is the case. Whenever the apostles instituted the office of deacon for the first time, what was the charge put to the congregation of the church in Jerusalem? It was, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among ye seven men, whom we may appoint to this. Man, if the woman folk were to be eligible for the office of a deacon, you'd have thought that the time to 
announced that or make that known was right now. Right when the office was, was coming into its first being. Of course, you would have said at this stage <coughs> that there's women to be involved or can be involved in that as a, as a deacon. Especially because of the context in which Acts chapter 6 uh, brought the whole thing about. What was the context of Acts 6? It was the widows were being neglected of the daily ministration. And who understands what the needs of a woman are in uh, her domestic business? Who understands better than another woman? A woman? Another woman understands exactly what is needed for the running of a house. So it could be argued, you would have thought, given the context, look you out men, but look you out women as well who understand better than other, the men do what a woman needs in those matters. But you don't read that. You just simply read, look ye out among you seven men whom we may appoint to the office or appoint over this business. Serving tables was for church waiters, not waitresses. It was for deacons, not deaconesses, who would be appointed of it. If that's true, actually, about the lesser office of a deacon, it's even more so, obviously, for the office of an elder or, indeed, of a minister. If even in the office of a deacon, the lesser of the three offices is to be male only, well, how much more an elder or a minister? I know it's very um, on 21st century, and the kind of practice that will eventually run a church into difficulties with the Charity Commission for not providing what they would say an equal opportunities environment. Well, if that's the way they want to take it, so be it. They can keep their gift aid just so long as we keep our Holy Bible. We can't sell our souls on this for a pot of stew. There used to be a comedy on television, uh, maybe in the 90s or so, men behaving badly. Well, men are behaving badly whenever they ordain female church officers. Because Paul closes this chapter here in 1 Timothy 3, a chapter which he's dealing with the qualifications of elders and deacons. And he says to Timothy, that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God. Men are behaving badly if they don't ordain men, other men to the office. And there's nothing comedy about it when we have ordained female officers in the church because as Paul says at the end of the chapter the church is the living as the church of the living God and it's meant to be the pillar and the ground of the truth and it just strikes me as not surprising at all that there's 
Uh, so much gender confusion in our society when there's so much gender confusion in church leadership. What, you, what would you expect out in the world if we've got it in the church and its leadership? Now one thing there is no confusion about and that is that there are plenty of opportunities. Plenty of opportunities for the women folk in the church to minister. Sort of Protestant version of the Sisters of Mercy after the order of Phoebe. Because the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6 commends Phoebe. He says of her, she hath been a succorer or a helper of many and of myself also. So Phoebe was able to help the Apostle Paul and others in the church by just by succoring them and helping them whatever way she could. And if you read down Romans chapter 16, and if you know that chapter, it's, it's a list of quite a few names from the church. And you'll encounter Priscilla, who Paul says is my helper in Christ Jesus. You, you encounter someone called Mary, who Paul says bestowed much labor on us. There's a one called Tryphena and Trafosa, who, who, who labor in the Lord. There's another one called the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. And there are other female names in that list. And they're all serving in the context of the local church. Plenty of opportunities. In theory, in theory, there's as many women in Kale's water as men who I could see doing an excellent job of being a deacon. Because women are generally better occurring for the bodily, physical, temporal things than the men are. In theory, there's as many women as men who could take up the office of a deacon. But not in paper. Not in paper. And it's the paper which is what we have to be guided by. Not the theory. Even if there was no men, we still wouldn't want to go down the road of in theory because of the plenty of women. One last thing to to sort of ties this all together. And we'll look more next week at the qualifications. And that is to say, um, someone might say, and it is said, well, if there's no, if women are not to be ordained to the office of a deacon, why does the Apostle Paul in this chapter speak about the type of moral character the, the women should be. So in, in, verse, uh, in verse 11, Paul speaks about um, even so uh, must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. And there are some who believe it because the moral, the moral character of the woman 
comes out there that that's ground to a point. Why else would Paul mention her moral character? And one answer for that, and just one answer, there may well be others, but perhaps the main answer is that given the nature of the role of a deacon, what do we say it was? A ministry of mercy. The role of the ministration to the saints or to the widows who were being neglected. We said it's visiting the fatherless and orphans in their affliction. That's the nature of the work. And who else, as we said earlier, who else is better fitted or better placed or better qualified even to aid the distribution to other women, to their orphans? Who better than other women to serve in a domestic setting, ministering to other ladies, ministering to needy children. So this really is one of those occasions when uh, when delegation takes place. Uh, uh, a, a deacon's wife um, needs to have a, a good moral character because there's every likelihood that if they were ministering to widows and they were ministering to the, uh, their orphans and so forth, that here's an occasion when the deacons could speak to their wives or some of the other ladies perhaps would speak to their wives certainly and co-op them. Co-op them. Delegate to them. They're, they're asking their wives to be involved to go and visit the widows, to go and visit the orphans. So it's necessary that a deacon's wife would compliment her husband if she is also to have some role in cooperating with her. So that's the, probably the best way of understanding why the, the woman's character also comes out here. Now, that's the qualifications just for this morning. We'll come back next week. The qualifications for the deacon. What's the qualifications of the minister? The qualifications of the minister is that he's to be apt to teach. And it's for the care of the souls of the people. So I wouldn't be doing my office properly if I concluded this sermon just now. I wouldn't be doing my office properly if I didn't take all of you to the word of God and to remind you and to inform you that the scripture says that the soul that sinneth it shall surely die. And the apostle says all have sinned and death has passed to all men because all have sinned. And Jesus said if you die in your sins where I am you cannot come. You cannot come to heaven. You cannot come to the company of the holy angels. You cannot come to the spirits of just men made perfect. If you die in your sins, you cannot come where I am. But the scripture also says that Christ also hath suffered uh, for sins. The just 
for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So if you haven't done so already, and if you have done so, keep doing so. Come to God via receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Come to God via casting yourself upon the mercy of God. And it's wrapped up in the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you come to God through faith and repentance in Christ, you know what you'll find? You'll find, funnily enough, oddly enough, that as far as salvation is concerned, as far as justification is concerned, you'll find that in Christ there is neither male nor female. There's equal opportunities for salvation and righteousness and heaven, all to be found by coming to God through Christ. So if you haven't done that already, come to him today. And if you have done so, we'll keep on coming here. Don't go anywhere else. Amen. Let us stand to pray.